Welcome to the How to Win a Baseball Game podcast. John Sintez, Alex Rojas. Don't forget to go like and subscribe. We're going to have this over all platforms. Um, we'll have the audio version on uh, Apple and Spotify. We'll have the video version here on YouTube, Instagram. We'll have some stuff on TikTok. We're going to be putting these things all over the place. So don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, he and I have a feeling we'll be having some stickers, maybe some shirts soon. Um, but my guy, Alex Rojas, and I have been working on this, and we have some cool things coming to you people. And so this is kind of the beginning of the premise of creating the audience of this idea. So thank you guys for tuning in. And Alex, what's up, my guy? Happy last, is it the last day of September, or do we have one more? Last, last day. day of September. Okay, so I have something then that I get to say right now that I've been waiting till this exact day. All right. One year ago tomorrow. Cutter Nation opens its doors for the first time in here in San Diego. And we officially had our own building. So happy anniversary to us tomorrow. So we'll have to do some form of uh, some form of partay a little bit there. So well, congratulations on having a, a year, man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was definitely a you know, a very fun learning and I'm excited where we're at, and I feel like we're going in the right direction, and we're growing tremendously, so it's fun. So you have – how long have you had a Cutter Nation facility before you had your own? Like, you were in that one spot, right, for a while. Well, how long have I been in San Diego, like, in places? Yeah. Uh, probably four years. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Very good job. Congratulations once again. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. Yeah, so – I wanted to – so do you know who Lex Friedman is? Uh, I believe so. He's like a AI-type programmer, coder. I wouldn't know. He's definitely a very intelligent and experienced um, robot and artificial intelligence-type engineer, right? And he has an excellent podcast. He interviews all sorts of people, but – some of the things that we talk about, right, I don't necessarily get to do on camera because I question you over the phone, right? So I'm going to start question, questioning you over the camera. So one of the things that you and I talk about a lot is the 85%, right? And I wanted you to go into what makes up the 15 and 85% that you and I talk about. It's almost like the Pareto principle, right? You could even say it's 20, 80, 80, 20. Yeah. You know what I mean? 20%. Yeah, that, more. That's, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I did not know what that was the principle, but I've heard 80, 20 before. Yeah. So 15, 85, like you could just round it and just go 20, 80. Right. So right. could you go into that a little bit? Well, you know, when it comes to, time and like what the game is you know yeah. i believe there's a lot of catchphrases and things that happen like defense chips and stuff like that but the game itself is advanced by the pitcher versus the hitter not by the ground ball the anything else so right. when you actually calculate the time of attack like 80 percent of it would be the pitcher versus the hitter and 20 percent would be the double cut, the running the first base, the ground ball to short and stuff like that. Even though there are 27 outs in the game, right? It just, it doesn't make up the same thing. So right. the emphasis on defense is actually the wrong idea. It should be the emphasis on the competition of the pitcher versus the hitter. 
Okay. So we were talking about if you could measure, right? Like in a football game, we've been able to measure over the course of time. It's like a six to eight second is like the average play, right? Like it's somewhere around there, maybe seven seconds, right? So we've measured that, right? And you can take how long does the quarterback have before he gets pressure? It's like two and a half seconds, right? So you have all these measurements. If you were to actually measure the ball flight and the swing, that time is so small compared mm -hmm. to what happens after that, right? Mm -hmm. Or all the decisions that led to that pitch, right? So we're, we're always talking about the meta, right? Like the point of what we're doing or the deep layers. Right, right, right. Things that you were talking about, because I, I watched you carve up some dudes at Fuel Factory. I watched it maybe four or five times. And I was on the phone with you for some of it, and you could hear what I was looking at. And you were like, ah, oh, I enjoy listening to what you're looking at, right? But it wasn't like I was looking at, oh, wow, that guy's front side and his swing is awesome. Or like, man, John, you really stayed back on, on your front, on your backside when you're going down the mountain. It's not really what I'm looking at. I'm looking at like what you guys are doing to play the game. So that 85%, instead of focusing on the mechanics, you're actually focusing on what's happening. And yes. one of the things that I started to ask you was how a guy is in the box. And I'll do it from like my knees here, but you know, you have guys that are more stacked. Then you have guys that are a little bit more here. So could you go into, like, just the difference between, like, these two guys? What's the difference? Well, you have, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into that. But posture, you know, affects swing play. And that's yeah. what, but what's amazing about the Internet is, you know, as a pitcher, you know, the, you have a martial arts side of this, the yin and yang, the understanding mm -hmm. of the offensive approach and the way you can swing a bat, and then how the pitch design, which is the shape of the pitch, and how right. it moves to it so right. if you are a vertical chest you're more likely to have a flat type of swing right because it has to match the angle which would turn 90 right. if you have a little bit more postured swing you would have a little bit more of a down angle closer to a golf driver swing right and it's not that either one of those are wrong right the, the, but what it is is you have to recognize that as a pitcher and understand that the fidget spinner of energy can only be in one spot and that tells you where the hole is so what I think is if the optimum angle of the chest angle would be 90 degrees, right, that's where our strength position would be, whether it be here or here, right, I would want to stay out of this lane in a box as a pitcher, right? I would want to stay up here and down here, right, or maybe further away or up and in, but the sweet spot of the bat. Now, if it was here, we might have a little bit different of a discrepancy. This is what a lot of people play with the flat swing. We're understanding where the barrel damage is, right? But that being said, the holes are still here and here, but they're at a different idea of fast, slow, where I'm trying to speed the guy up, right? So he's late, doesn't get the barrel there, or slow him down so the ball drops off and the barrel goes in front. So it's like, if you understand what the guys are actually trying to do with their swing and the direction they're trying to swing, then you have to design your pitches around their holes and flaws. Okay, so... If I'm going to be – because I'm the hitting coach, right? So this is like yin and yang, right? So I'm going to make guys aware of this type of a game as a bigger portion of like – because you can hit either way. There's guys that have hit home runs and that have got 3,000 hits hitting both ways. So for me to say one's right, one's wrong wouldn't be true. But to understand like – Again, it would just be like saying if you're a power puncher versus you're a technical boxer, right? Yeah. Like, 
two different game plans, two totally different game plans, right? So again, if you're going to be upright, you have to know what your flat swing means. And then right. if you tilt forward, right, you have to understand what that means for that. Because that's what one of the things I've been looking at is even if you're upright, which I think you, you got to be a little bit here and just for athleticism base, just because here you tend to be flat. And that's that game that you and I were talking about where I'm like, you know, you're not really north-south or east-west. <laughs> you're like northwest, northeast, right? You were playing these, like, these tight holes. Like, you were finding holes and swings based on, number one, I felt like repetitive pitch location or, or pitch selection, right? Fastball, fastball, or okay, I'm just going to go cut her away, cut her away, just like working that area and exposing what guys liked and what guys didn't like. So you read takes, and I never really heard a pitcher talk about reading takes, right? So what do you see when you see a take? Well, like back to the offensive strategy, right? Like why would right. you take it, right? Well, you want to see it, right? So you're trying to time it. You know you only get three strikes, right? So if you sacrifice one strike, what are the odds you swing next pitch? High or low? Pretty high. Really high, right? So if you know that and you threw a pitch, let's say you threw a fastball and you piped it, it was middle, then you can throw things that start in that middle tunnel and then break out of it to prove him to be off balance, right? Yeah. If you were to double up the spot to the speed, man, he's going to be way better on time on the second one. You're probably going to give up a hit, right? This is why you see a lot of times in the big leagues, you rarely see double up fastballs. Hmm. Go into it a little bit more. I like that. Keep talking about it. Because, like, I know, yeah. can I, like, I want to piggyback off kind of what you said. Like, I know that when I would catch, I would read how guys would take pitches. But yes. I've never heard a pitcher talk about it. I've talked to my pitchers about it, but I've never heard the depth quite that yeah. you go into it. So like, right? Like if they're if they're flat footed and they have no movement and they take it and they track it all the way to the glove, there's no chance that guy was ever swinging, right? So he's definitely swinging that. And you got the guy. As soon as you start your motion, he picks up his momentum, right? Looking at him, he starts rhythm, right? Probably the faster the rhythm, the more likely he's going to swing. I believe Gary Sheffield was like that. They used to talk about his uh, annual back called it where when he got going the thing was going, yeah yeah you know what i mean and yeah, yeah. Didn't do anything about it because he was just perfectly timed on you you know he just kind of so, knew how to get it through it for it to do its thing so are you looking at rhythm are you looking at how so like of course open stance close stance high hands low hands right, right. Uh, if you throw a pitch and he and he checks at it you throw a pitch and he takes it like a pro and you know some of the best takes in the big leagues are like a poker face where it's like you take it as if the pitch was never even thrown. And that yeah. is a big advantage if you know how to do that, right? If you know how to take it, if it were just nothing, then you gave the pitcher no information. So the next pitch is a little mystery to him. So it's, there's a lot of gamesmanship that's going on that, it, you know, they cut away to all the time on TV and I wish they didn't because it'd be like gamesmanship. They know it's 12 seconds. So we get hot dog vendor, bullpen, uh, dug out, and then we're looking at the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, just don't, you don't get that when you're at the game. That's right. You don't. You know what you get? You get to watch the guy walk around the mound, take his hat off, 
grabbed the rosin bag. They like, the just... team people are really good. They know on average, like, what – how fast these guys are and how quickly that, you know, it might be the guys, like, nine seconds on average between pitches. So, they know they can design those shots to do it. That's so... why they're all really close every time. Huh. You bring up good points for why we don't pay attention in baseball. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's hard to. Oh, it's frustrating. Especially, like, Mark – like, everybody loves Mark Grant, the Padres guy here, right? But, like, they steer the conversation away from the game so often. It's so frustrating. And everybody's like, oh, that's the best part. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. The best part is that was disgusting. Can we see it in slow-mo? Because it's going to be on Pitching Ninja in about five minutes, and that's where I'm going to have to get off your platform and go over to another one to watch the nastiness over and over and over like I want to. So good job. Good job, right. guys. Way to Which take people away from you. It's like the wheels mentality where, like, you can watch a baseball game or you can just watch a wheels highlight and see everything that you really need to see, and you can watch it over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the last questions that I had was – kind of directed towards the and I talk about martial arts all the time the idea of you're going to be in bad spots whether you're a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher and more understanding of like what you need to get out of those spots again we called it moves to win from a pitch perspective but then it goes to like strategies to win because you're going to end up first and third if you're playing good competition you're going to give up runs you're going to end up in bad situations and you have to know how to get out of them you can't get pulled. You know, sometimes you have to give up two singles in your first and third with two outs, and you got to find a way out of it without, you know, letting the next guy do it. Mm -hmm. So if you were to be, like, in the, in the ear as a kid's pitching, right, what are some things that, like, I just talk to hitters all the time at, like, a youth level, right? What are you expecting right here? And a lot of kids are saying, we're expecting a pitch to make us hit a ground ball, right? Double plays in order, right? But then you have to get to the deeper layers of like, okay, so how are you going to combat that from a hitting perspective, right? You have the idea of, well, I can just take so I get a better pitch, right? Just be disciplined. Or you have the ability to adjust, take what the pitcher gives you, make sure it's something you're ready for, right? It's not something that you're like, oh, shit, and adjust. You're looking for that spot, just like you're looking for the hole, right? So – from a pitching perspective, again, what are some things in like a like if you were to tell like a, a thirteen year old kid right now, what kind of situations do they need to be good in to like be an effective pitcher? Well, you right? used to nail like understanding that it's okay to walk somebody as long as yeah. you have a good play strategy to get out yeah. of it. That, that that negates the walk, right? No matter what, in, like that's why I don't like counting walks because like yes it is a threat but it's only a threat if he scores right yeah like it is a waste of pitches but like it's just a part of the game you can't like right. try and walk the guy it doesn't doesn't work that way you know like if i try not to walk him then i'm gonna float a cookie and he's gonna give up a home run like major league baseball bats and little league baseball bats have turned into quite the problem you know what i mean and so if that's the case then then you have to be okay with that if 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 putting someone on base is more of a threat than a home run, then, then you're misunderstanding what the idea is completely. You know what I mean? Like changing the score is the objective, right? So right. 
yeah, you, you have to you have to let them know that there are certain ways to slow them up or speed them, you know, speed them up or slow them down to try to get weak contact that induces the, the better double play ball. Because you don't want to rock it at your shortstop. It's going to blow them up. You want a beautiful two hopper, just like what he's used to catching every day. So it's just routine. One, two, catch, flip, turn, you're out, right? So there's just – each guy has to learn how to do that. And we've been doing that a lot of practice where I'm making guys face people – and do their bullpen work with a runner on first. Because first and third, like you, you talked about the other day, is a very common sequence. But you have to be able to execute and throw good breaking balls in a slide step that messes with your timing and your power. Because if you have a quick move, you, you are just not strong. It's just not the same thing. And so it feels different. So you have to be able to go, I'm okay going double up breaking balls on in a double play situation to start off the at-bat. Because if I get them 0-2, then I could probably throw a third one and get the double play for sure, right? Or if it's 2-0, then I could pipe a two-seamer or a cutter or something like that that would just get him out. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's almost like – it's almost – so when you were talking about that, I was like the first thing that came in my head was that's how you fucking pitch. Like that's how you pitch. You know what I mean? Like – I never had that insight from a pitching perspective. You were talking about you got to have a good curveball for your slide step. And I went to, oh, right, because the first and third situation, like you and I talked about, right, if this guy's already taken first pitch, right, I know I can get away with a fastball, right? But a first and third situation, if you don't have a good breaking ball off your slide step, what do you think you're going to throw, dude? Your probably yeah. pitching coach is going to go fucking fastball outside. So that guy's probably sitting on it. But if you do have the effect of curveball, it puts you in a better perspective because now you have more moves to win instead of you're in this one situation. Like, for example, I don't know if anybody watches the UFC out there, but if you know what side control is, right, or mount or the back when someone has your back, if you just have one way to get out of that and that guy knows the same way, you're probably not getting out of that. You have to have options, right? You need to have moves or ideas or be able to create create scrambles, right? And there's ways that you can tie that into baseball, right? Like I told the kids the other day, um, what's the easiest way to get a hit? And just somebody said it pretty simple, just hit the ball at the middle. I was like, yeah, but just even think simple, like way, way basic. And somebody said, hit the ball hard. You talked about your shortstop getting blown up. Nobody wants to get blown up, man. So no. if your objective at the plate is just – it doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to hit the ball hard. Again, going back to I'm going to take what the pitcher gives me. I'm just going to hit the shit out of it, right? Um, which, random random piece here. Um, shout out to Slater, right? He hits the ball about 100 miles an hour, and it's about this high off the ground, right? The perspective is, right – if he hits that at anybody, the odds of them making a play on that are very slim. I'm not going to say none, slim to none, but, like, there's some amazing infielders out there. So for you to put the odds in the idea of, like, I'm just going to try to crack one over the wall instead of just being a little humble and just, like, all I need is a base knock and we keep this thing going, mm -hmm. right? So I love when you talk about that. Just the idea of, like, I feel like a big league coach would tell a pitcher that, but you wouldn't tell a 12-year-old that. 
from a old school perspective because you may mess them up, right? But you may actually help them out. Just make it simpler on them. Like, hey, dude, don't focus on throwing a fastball here. Like, let's get good at your curveball in this situation. Let him learn how to control his body. Let him learn how to grow. Because the hardest thing these kids have to deal with is genetics until they're like 18. Then mm -hmm. the, the playing field's a little bit more even. People are maturing, testosterone, weight room. Like if you're in that baseball circle and you're doing things the right way, things start to pan out. And if right. you eat, right? But if you can teach the kids other options instead of just option one, which is always throw a fastball away for the first two pitches and then throw a fastball higher, a fucking curveball, like you're limiting that kid's potential to actually understand the game. Agreed. You know, so let's keep this thing rolling with your force team, right? What are some things that you are trying to get in between those guys' ears for situations like moves to win, right? Uh, you know, which we're – some of our guys have really good stuff, and so you have to be able to, like, help them harness, like, what they're trying to do and, and try to be as efficient as possible, right? right. You could show nasty breaking balls, but if they're not strikes, it doesn't matter, right? Right. And so I've been emphasizing a lot of, like, try to strike people out on three pitches. Like, really make them aggressive. Because if you pour a heater in their first pitch, right, and you spot it, and then you throw some, you know, and then you pour another one in there and you spot it down again and just go whack, whack at the bottom of the zone, like, that guy's for sure swinging. No, no shot. Right? And so we just try to get him to recognize these things. Like, if you throw a heater first pitch, he takes it. You throw a heater second pitch and he fouls it off. You know, he's is he swinging? Maybe, right? You got a 50-50 shot on what he's doing. But if you can locate a good breaking ball at the bottom of the zone, not necessarily up, but at the bottom of the zone, you're at least going to get a ground ball because he's going to be ahead, right? But if you get it to where it is bait enough for him to go after it, maybe it's instead of off the plate, it's on the plate, but down, like past the point of the plate, that it looks like it's probably middle in or middle and then it drops off the table then you'll get that spot. But it has to be specifically tunneled in the right spot so it looks juicy enough to, to bait the guy to swing. So when they went to the Arizona Fall Classic, you get five batters, which is live at bats, and we've been training for that, you know? So, like, if you can stay out of the windup and stay in your most powerful position, then, like, people aren't going to beat you. See, when you say things like that, it just sounds, like, so simple. You know, when you say it like that, it's just so simple, right? Because you're paying attention, right? So if you just have the wherewithal to understand what you just said, like you're explaining to that kid, you can just keep that in between his ears. That's what's going to help him grow. So when he gets in the weight room and he ends up throwing 92, now he's way more effective at 92 or 93. It's funny. I felt a little uh, – you just took me back when, when I was watching one of our guys throw, and I felt like – I say sometimes I say things that like pitching coaches would never say because I'm like faster, like from the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> like it's never you never hear faster from the dugout. I'm like come on right. faster. Yeah. <laughs> like and they look over. I'm like yeah, go for it. Like it's O2. Yeah. 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 Rip that bad boy. Right. So There's it's a... like that. That once you can, I feel like the anxiety of like throwing the ball as hard as possible for a lot of kids. In the way, like the long, the longer it takes for me to get to a kid, like the older they are, like the more anxiety they have about throwing the ball as hard as possible. So, 
I'm so glad you just said that. There's this book called The Comfort Crisis that I'm reading, okay? And it's written by like a men's health editor, men's journal editor, something like that. And the guy is essentially writing a book about how his life was so comfortable that it, it, it just, it essentially drove him crazy, right? He was, uh, he was drinking all the time. He wasn't exercising. He basically lived in an apartment. He never went outside. It was just kind of a, he, he looked at it one day. He had a moment of clarity, right? And he was like, ah, this isn't good. But he then introduces himself to some wonderful people. There's a guy who owns a facility. I'm sure, I, I think you may have heard of the facility. It's called P3. It's yep. out in, uh, yeah, you've heard of that? So they he moved, yeah. with that owner. Right. He meets that owner because, you know, he's the journal editor or the men's journal or men's health editor. Right. So he's got a pretty good job when it comes to the health and fitness world. Right. NBA basketball players are going to this guy for some of the best work in the world. This I think his name is Ethan. I'm not sure what his name is, but the owner of P3. Anyways, one of the things that he was talking about was he does these things called masojis. It's a Japanese term which essentially it's like an initiation trial, right? But to put it in simple terms, have you seen 300? Yes. Do you remember when they take the boy and they throw him in the woods? Yeah. That's like a masoji where it's like your initiation trial, right? <laughs> you're coming of age, right? You're shark tank, right? So he talks about how this owner of P3, he has these trial by fires he's super hard like he'll run in the mountains for 20 miles like with zero sleep like david goggins campaign type stuff but he only does it like once a year maybe twice a year right yeah. and one of the things that goes back to all of these traditions and you could even say like where it goes into like the military realm like navy seals don't ring the bell right so it, what you just said, like, kids are scared to throw hard because people were watching. And one of the things that they talked about was the reason why it's hard to quit a Masoji is not because anybody's watching. It's because you're watching. And that's one of the hard things when it comes to performance and training. It's not just because your trainer's watching. It's not just because your parents are watching and other kids are watching. But you're watching, too. You know, yourself. <laughs> And yeah. so sometimes when you're watching and you're struggling and then you add everything else, it's like major shutdown, like, oh, man. Right. So one of the things I've been trying to teach to kids, right, is definitely the Revisa approach of stepping out. Right. Let's have a release point. Or I love looking at the ground for a release point. Like, where are you right now? Just look yeah. at where you're standing. That's where you are. Can't be anywhere else. Right. Look where your feet are. Take a deep breath. <sighs> of course you're out of control. You care a lot. And when we care a lot, sometimes we get out of control. Our emotions blow up. That's okay. That's totally fine. Because you're watching, right? You're watching yourself like, yes, of course, you're 17 years old and you just fouled a ball off in front toss. It's frustrating, right? I did it. Like, it, it happens, right? Of course you're frustrated. Your dad's behind home plate recording, right? You hate when he watches you play, but there he is. He's recording. He's not even being a – he's not even, you know, like, get it over the top. He's just watching you, right? But it's the added pressure. He wants you to do well. You know that, right? So the idea of what you're watching, right, the meta, right, 
that's super important for a kid to just let it go. And like, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay that like, hey, you're gonna make these mistakes plenty of times and you have to be okay with seeing it. That's kind of what I'm going at with like, you're watching. You gotta be okay with seeing your failures and just being like, oh man, that was bad. All right, <laughs> just do it again. Just, yeah, just sure. do it again. Yeah, yeah, well it desensitizes it too. I mean, that's the whole idea behind Live at Bats. It's like, not too high, not too low. Like you've been here before, you've done this. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think where people, you, you see a lot of like, I think they talk about MMA fighters that do this, where they have the adrenaline jump, like where guys that come out the oh, first yeah. inning go wild and jump and go crazy, right? And then like halfway through the first, the adrenaline wears off because two minutes is like the, the number for whatever it is. Guys just like lose it, right? And they just go whatever. They got too jacked up in the locker room for too long. You know what I mean? And so like, you know, that's one of my favorite, you know, I've, a lot of my best outings, I felt like I was almost like listening to music, right? Like the whole time and like, taking a little bit more of a route around the mound and the grass to back to like coming up the backside of the mound, just to slow it down just a couple. So you get uh, a couple breaths, you know, the beauty of present mindedness, right? Like being able to just, I'm on the baseball field. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm not rushing. Right. Some, some guys like to work fast. Alex Wood, Wow. That dude works so fast. Yeah. I like to work fast, like a live at bat situation. And if I'm right. in lockdown, right. But there's just, you know, you still got to be able to, like, understand the paces and everything that, like, you can, like, even when I played in the NBC and they actually have the shot clock, right, and you get 20 seconds per pitch, like, that's still a ton of time. You know what wow. I mean? It's a lot of time. You know what yeah. I mean? Especially, like, like, what I like about it is that we hacked it. So, like, it only starts when you get on the dirt. So, like, if you just walk off the dirt, catch the ball, walk around, <laughs> like, you give yourself two, three extra seconds, like. And it's not like you need it, but it's just like yeah. the understanding of like, okay, I'm starting the clock. You are not. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Hey, uh, could you have your computer out. Could yeah. you Google how many swings are taken in the home run derby now that they've converted to time? Oh, my God. That's a good question. Because, like, those dudes get way more than 10 outs now. They get like 35 outs. Because a lot of those, like, oh, Shohei Otani took 10 line drive swings where he could hit one out. Yeah. I think this is going to be a hard thing to find. Uh, I bet it is. I bet it absolutely sucks. I bet I'm going to have to watch it with a clicker in my hand and just like, yeah. Click, click. You're going to do. But I was just asking just to kind of understand, like, there, again, I'm going to talk about Ken Revisa. Like, when you're on the baseball field, like, sometimes you just got to be on the baseball field. Like, yeah. just enjoy it. Walk on the grass. Hey, they just cut it today. It looks nice. Look at it a little bit, right? It doesn't mean, like, lose your focus, right? Yeah. But just, like, appreciate where you are. That's a, that's a hard thing to do at a younger age. Because as you get older, you learn to compartmentalize things and, like, appreciate things on different levels, right? But I remember one of my favorite things to do when I – excuse me. Just sitting behind, like, you know, you just call a pitch, ball fouls off, get the ball from the umpire, throw it back. And you just look at the field, and you're just like, dude, it's so dope being out here. It's so awesome being out here. Because, like, it's a beautiful thing to just kind of appreciate where you are and – 
I think when I started doing more like in the moment, right, type drills, it allowed me to get more out of that whatever time. Like I remember playing in college where like the umpire would yell at you if you step two feet out of the box. So you can still get plenty of time or whatever. Step one foot out of the box. Just enjoy what you're doing. And that 20 seconds, like, I kind of said a joke. I don't know if you heard me. You can do a lot of burpees in 20 seconds. I do them, right? Like, so, like, there's a lot of time. And then sometimes you're like, oh, my God. There's still, like, how many seconds, right? So 20 seconds. 20, how many seconds? 20 seconds? 20. That's a lot of time. You can probably do, like, at least nine burpees in 20 seconds. Totally. Seven to nine burpees, for sure. Right? As fast as you can. I'm not saying you can do it every ever. Seven to nine. Seven. There's not a spectrum. Where are you on the spectrum? That's funny. Where, yeah. So there's a lot of, I think, gaps when we tell kids, like, how to deal with the failure that they're dealing with. Right? So, like, you hit the nail on the head a lot with how you, again, explain things. Because I've watched you when you talk to kids. Like, I've seen, like, a lot of your interactions. So what do you think would be the step of a non-facility coach, right? We're talking a baseball coach that could just be a high school baseball coach. Like, dude, I know that there's, like, there's college coaches that follow me, right? And so they try to implement. We've had messages, right? There's high school coaches where they implement stuff. So... What would you do to a guy who doesn't have a facility, but they have a team, right? How could you start to work on these things? Well, I, I think one of the biggest issues when you have that exact thing is that just the way we're training guys, right? So, like, instead of tripling down on what they're best at, we're trying to fill deficiencies. And I feel like that's a waste of time. Like, they want to teach guys to go backside and go oppo. Like, it's an easy thing to do. And they point at Miguel Cabrera. Like, he's an amazing backside hitter. And, like, he has more home runs left field than he does right field so I don't want anybody to tell me that like he's an amazing backside hitter it's not that he isn't it's just that's not his thing that's not what he's best at and of course he goes backside and figured out how to do that because people stop throwing him inside throw him inside at least that's that's what you're missing you're missing if you throw it there it leaves so mistake hung whatever it is bye-bye so like of course you throw him outside the whole time you know what I mean so like it, 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 I just – if coaches can figure out what kids are best at and help them with the game, like if you had a kid that loves to pull and he pulls everything, then teach him how to aim the pull. Like teach him how to create the hook shot. They hit it over third base so he can stand on second and still enjoy the game. Instead of the two years you're going to teach him to hit ground balls to the second baseman and ruin baseball for him. Dude, I think the acknowledgement of – somebody's skills is a very important thing to do early on instead of trying to make everybody do the same thing. Yeah. We got, we got a kid that's throwing with us and I've just been kind of like, he hits with us a little bit, but he plays for our organization and he's really good at hitting the ball to one part of the field really fast, right? Left center. And I was like, dude, you can get around it. You have a quick enough bat. Like, I don't even understand why you're trying to do anything else with this. Like, just hit an absolute bazooka off the wall, wherever it is, every time you're up there. And since we've had that conversation, he's 16. Since we've had that conversation, he just wears dudes out every game. Every game. It's a double. It's a hit. It's a, you know, it's a triple. And I'm like, there you go. There it is. 
So, it, you know, it's just, I think one of the other advices that I could give to coaches is like positive affirmation, but like confirmation of success is something that we miss massively. Like if you do something correctly, like it's just like you're supposed to act like you're supposed to be there. And it's like, no, you're supposed to celebrate that and help them understand that's all they have to do. Especially in a game where you're like, your failure happens in training so much too. Like yeah. there has to be, you can't give people bowls of crap all the time. They have to have some whipped cream. But also, some people just can't eat whipped cream all the time. Sometimes they need a little crap in their whipped cream. Holy! I mean, last night at Advanced PT, it's what we did. I mean, kids found out they can't hit curveballs. You know what I mean? They saw a real one from an arm that's snapping it off. And they're like, I don't know how to hit this. And I go, first of all, why were you even swinging at it? I know we're in batting practice, but they were not strikes. Second of all, you going to ask a question or are you just going to swing 10 times in a row and miss them in 10 in a row? So, you know, it's, there's, like I said, there's just a lot of things that happen inside the baseball world of lack of strategy that I see on the, that I remember seeing when I was down there watching kids that were so much more advanced in the strategy of the game and understanding what was happening. I love it, man. Well, I want to end with some baseball trivia, actually. Okay, hit me with it. So there are 10 gentlemen that have hit 500 home runs that are not in the Hall of Fame. Okay. All right. Now, right, I was asked this the other day. I totally forgot the answer, for the most part. I can think of some guys. So. I thought of a couple guys, but I don't. Right. So there's 10 guys. So number one, Miguel Cabrera just hit 500, right? A- or A-Rod's got 500 and something, right? Yep. Barry Bonds. What? Barry, Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. Pujols. Um, Mark McGuire. Sammy Sosa. Um, who else is on that list? Who's dead on this list? <laughs> uh, uh, this is a hard one. So my good. Hey, Homer Simpson. Oh yeah. <laughs> Man, so if anybody can answer that and fill us back in, that would be awesome. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. We should have people leave the answers in the comments when we put it on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you guys can figure out who it is, you will get a like on your comment. We don't have well, to follow. We'll, we'll follow. How about we'll follow? follow for sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I would say for a sticker. Dude, I love stickers. I love sticking the stuff everywhere. That got misinterpreted, possibly. But, you know. We could do that for sure. No problem. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I'm going to get going, start to get – I got this unicorn kid. This is one of my favorite things when I hear somebody that – the way that this kid got really good at hitting was he had a pitching coach that would get on the mound and would just throw at him. And he was like, yeah, he was like my my pitching coach for like five years. They would pitch together, work on mechanics, and then he would just get on the mound and just throw at this kid like live at bats. And this kid just so happens to hit the absolute crap out of the ball and can go 95 off the tee, right? But he figured it out 
because somebody was throwing at him, not because he was trying to, you know, he wasn't getting front toss every day. You know what I mean? He was just like, he was just like this, this guy facing a dude, you know, like yeah. a 14 year old facing like a 28 year old man. Right. Well, that what, also like, think about what outside flight might do to a brain. Right. 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 The luxury of BP outside, but like with real BP where you could, yeah, that, I've been thinking about that hard about like, if you could really show distance and learn what distance is. Cause that's how I remember I taught a couple kids that were like 13 back in Florida and they banged, they loved hitting home runs, but that's all we tried to do. Like we would play games and I'd be like, all right, dude, if you swing slow, it's not going to go out. We have three or four fence. And then like, you know, it got to, it got to a while. He had a lot of fun. It, it, the only thing that I would say created an issue was that he had no idea where the zone was. <laughs> he had no clue. Zero zone display. But he almost hit a home run every time he played. So what, how do you, you know what I mean? Like, See, that's the thing. Like, if somebody does that shit, like, I don't know how to argue that. Like, I'm just kind of looking around, like, just like, it works. <laughs> like, whatever he does. Yeah, you know like, what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Like, maybe don't praise him, like, all the time. But just, like, you know, give him shit every once in a while. It's like, man, that strikeout was brutal. But when you hit that ball off, like, off the lights, that was dope. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, like, yeah. How big is the infield to, like, because I, I was looking at average distance on one of my guys, and it was and it was one of the guys that we know, and, um, you know, it was 157 feet, 100, I think, 60 feet, right? So I figure that's at least a line drive out of the infield. But how big is the infield? 135 feet, 140 feet? Uh, I think it's 135 or 140. 130 because second base is 126 something weird 121 127 and a half 127 and a half that's what it was um look at all these baseball knowledge things we're dropping but um last Stupid thing that i'm gonna leave you on because i do i can hear my dogs like absolutely getting after it in my backyard um i was looking at a guy that trains your force team les spellman right and i was carrying that over to a couple of um, guys that I'm working with when it comes to hitting and speed and agility, right? And we're working on the idea of not allowing your body in, in any sense to focus on going vertical, right? Trying to keep your body as horizontal as you can. And um, from a whole bunch of different results, right? This was one of the things I really wanted to touch on was Baseball, we don't run very far. We don't move very far, right? We have to work really hard, actually, at staying low, right? And one of the things that we have to do as, like, performance coaches is, at least from my baseball perspective, is getting kids actually strong in awkward positions, right? I don't mean, like, move. Not, like, moving up and down over hurdles. Like, they need to be able to, you know, almost, like, like kind of like run through a tunnel, right? They have to be able to move in these tight spaces because 90 feet's not very far. And you have to accelerate to top speed pretty quick. And I see a lot of guys working on, you know, it'd be like the idea of a deadlift, you're lowering your skeleton and then raising your skeleton. I mm -hmm. want to see you move your skeleton. So like focus on like ladder drills, reaction games and, and that, that's some of the stuff I've been having with success, just kind of following 
the idea of acceleration from that guy that trains uh, your team, Les. He's got some awesome stuff. If you're a, a speed nerd, that dude's got like boy, tomato. Dude, he's got buckets of information for free just on his website. It's just it, he's laying it out there what he does, the proof in the pudding, and it's it's very measurable. It's very easily implemented. You can train it and evaluate it. It's got just some really tangible evidence to proving how to properly, I feel like, run. Not like in terms of mechanics, but just like in terms of speed, right? And I think that that's important to process for those field coaches that we were talking about earlier, those coaches that just have teams. I thought that was a pretty neat thing. Just getting kids to focus on being fast in five feet. They don't need to do so many sprints, dude. <laughs> like, stop making them run poles and run yeah. sprints. They just need to run about five feet, catch tennis ball. Get here, catch tennis ball. Huh, huh, huh. Like, like a dog. Like, they got to be like a cocker span, or not a cocker span, a Jack Russell. Just quick, just bam, bam. You'll see some good results. I've seen in just some quick work with some kids, some good results that just. There you go for you, for you coaches. Sounds good. I think we might start doing that too. Yeah. Fun. Before you hit, right, reaction drills. What's that? Oh, yeah. Before you hit, just some reaction drills, like some speed drills. And then when the ball comes in, you're like, dude, this is so slow. <sighs> this is so slow. Yeah. This is so slow. That's one of my favorite things that guys say and like toss. It's like, this is so slow. I'm like, I know. I'm 10 feet away. Like, yeah. Chill out. Yeah. Yep. All right, bud. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you guys for watching, for saying hi to all of you guys that just said hi to anybody that asked a question that we didn't see. Thank you. Like John said earlier, he crushed it in the beginning with that opening. That was excellent. I didn't get to tell you that. That was an excellent intro. I, you know, I, you got to turn it on. We got to start doing that. You know what I mean? It's like Bruce Buffer in the octagon. Yeah. It's time. Ha! Yeah. I was fired up. The, I was like, man, yeah. let's go. Let's come out yeah, hot. Sure. Just swing and throwing yeah. questions out. Yep, yep. You got to be awesome. ready. Awesome. Yep. Great job today. Awesome podcast. Have a great it's Thursday, right? Yep, Thursday. Have a great Thursday, dog. Peace out. You too, bro. Have a good one. You too, bro.